Welcome to New Life with Adam Camp. This podcast is a ministry of Rosemont Baptist Church in LaGrange, Georgia. Please visit us on the web at rosemontchurch.org. Enjoy the podcast. Before I begin this morning, I just want to invite you tonight from 6 o'clock till 8 o'clock right here in the worship center. We're going to do a night of prayer. We've been talking about this for a while and planning it and, and, and kind of thinking through it. There's no agenda. There's no program. It's simply an opportunity for us to open up the church building for you to be here and to pray. You can come for two hours. You can come for an hour. You can come for 30 minutes, however the Lord leads you. You don't have to be here at 6. You can come from 7 to 8 or 6.30 to 7.30. It's completely open. But our prayer team has been working on this. They actually have a handout for you that's going to guide you and walk you right through the prayers and what they're going to ask you to pray for tonight. And the, the sanctuary is going to be open. You can come pray at the altar or sit in the pew, wherever the Lord leads you. But I just want to ask you, if you're available tonight, to be a part of that. Because we're, we're never going to continue to march forward and do the things the Lord's called us to do with that prayer. We, we just can't. And so we need to be praying. We need to be focusing on prayer. And so I just want to invite you and encourage you to be a part of that tonight, 6 to 8 p.m. in our worship center. Now let me pray for us and we're going to begin. Father, we thank you for the chance we have to sing and to pray and just to lift our voices. Father, you've given us this incredible ability to sing and to praise your name through song. And it's a beautiful opportunity for us, Lord, to tell us how much we love you. Lord, to acknowledge your presence and your power in our lives. And so I just thank you for that chance that you give us every Sunday morning as a body of Christ to come together to knit our hearts together in worship. And Lord, we turn our attention now as we continue to worship you to your word. And we open the truth of your word, Father. I pray you just impress upon our hearts the importance of, of what this means. Lord, the, the importance of what your word in our life means. That it is absolute truth. There's no truth above your word, Father. And we should study your word and love your word and live our lives according to your word. And so I pray that as we study it this morning... Through the power of the Spirit, we could be transformed more into the image of your Son, Jesus Christ. It's in his name we pray. Amen. Take your Bibles, open to Genesis chapter 22. Genesis 22, we are continuing our study this morning through the book of Genesis. Sermon series that we've entitled, In the Beginning. And let me just thank Jason for preaching last week. The beauty of podcasts is I can listen to what he says and critique him when I get back. No, I'm just kidding. He did a great job. I was pleased with the way he handled that text last week. I thought he did a really nice job. And let me just say this. I've said this before, but this church is blessed with an incredible staff. We've got an amazing group of people that, first of all, love the Lord. And uh, that's not always a gimme. They love the Lord. They serve the Lord. They're dedicated to this church and to what this church means. And they work very hard for you and to make the gospel known. And so it's a joy to work with these folks day in and day out. And I'm just thankful for them. We're going to continue our study today, Genesis chapter 22. We've systematically worked through every chapter in the book of Genesis. We've talked about Abraham. We've talked about Lot more recently. Last week, of course, you studied the birth of Isaac. And it's at this point in our study in Genesis chapter 22 that we arrive at this place of kind of decision and a difficult crossroad for Abraham. Because he's going to be asked to do something in our minds, and for those of you that may not be familiar with this text, something almost unbelievable. But we're going to read through it, we're going to work through it, and we're going to see truth 
that we can not only take from this scripture and from this Old Testament story, but truth we can begin to apply to our lives. So Genesis chapter 22, we're going to start by looking at the first two verses and we'll work our way through this chapter. We have these on the screen. You can read along with us in your Bible if you'd like. Genesis chapter 22, verse 1. Sometime later, now scholars debate about how long that was. I didn't know this until my study this week, but there are some Jewish traditions that believe that Isaac was almost 40 years old when this happened. Most scholars argue he was probably a young teenager. So we're looking at 12 to 13 to 15 years after the birth of Isaac. So between Genesis 21 and 22, sometime later, at least a decade, God tested Abraham. If you're taking notes, you ought to underline or circle that word tested. And he said to him, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Now verse 2, then God said, take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, And go to the region of Moriah. Sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains that I will tell you about. Now let's stop there for just a second. And I want to pause because I want you to do something. I want just for a second for you to consider your own children. Many of us in this room have children. Maybe you've got grandchildren or maybe a niece or a nephew. I want you just for a second to consider your children and I want you to consider what it must have been like to be Abraham because I want, as best as possible, I want to kind of walk through this process. I want to walk through this study in this chapter with at least some sort of an emotional understanding of what it must have been like. That's impossible for us to fully understand. We'll never really be there. But if you've got a child, a, a son, maybe a, a young son like Isaac, I want you as best you can to consider how incredibly difficult this would have been for Abraham. Unthinkable, unimaginable. How could we ever consider giving our child like this, physically sacrificing our child because the Lord called us to do it. But as we understand and begin to work through this process, I think the things that we can learn and begin to apply to our lives as we're called the difficult circumstances. So so there's some truth I want you to see here. The first truth is this. I'll put it on the screen, number one. Sometimes God places us in very difficult situations to test and strengthen our faith. Sometimes God places us in very difficult situations to test and strengthen our faith. Let me draw your attention back to Genesis chapter 12. You don't have to flip there, but I want you to remember. This is the first calling that the Lord placed upon Abraham. Genesis chapter 12, verse 1, I want you to listen to the text. The Lord said to Abraham, go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. So there's kind of two components here. The Lord says to Abraham, I want you to go to the land I'm going to show you. Now there are similarities between Genesis 12, 1 and Genesis 22, verse 2, the story we're reading this morning. God said, Genesis 22, 2, bring that scripture back up if you would for me. Genesis chapter 22, verse 2, God said, take your son, your only son whom you love, Isaac, and go to the region of Moriah, sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on a mountain, I will show you. So we see kind of the same idea, go to this place that I'm going to show you or I'm going to tell you about, right? There's similarities between Genesis 12, 1 and Genesis 22, verse 2. Now, most scholars believe that Abraham would have made this connection, They would have understood that when the Lord called Abraham in the manner that he did, based on the way the Hebrew is written, that Abraham would have connected this calling in Genesis 22 to the original calling in Genesis 12. In fact, one scholar said it like this. Abraham could not have missed the connection being made 
Bells are going off in Abraham's mind. God is clearly reminding him of his promise of blessing in Genesis chapter 12. Even while he's being commanded to do what seems to be utterly opposed to that promise. In other words, Abraham not only understood this calling, but he understood this calling in Genesis chapter 22 was a big deal. It was in some way related to his calling in Genesis chapter 12. And we understand the connection here because it's through the son that descendants will one day come. It's through the son that the nations will one day come. It's through the son eventually that the line of the Messiah will one day come. And so Abraham begins to understand this is a big deal the Lord's calling me to do. This is not only a big deal in my life now, but this relates to my original calling, which would have been decades before. Now, it's just a few chapters in Genesis, but decades before, and it relates to the calling the Lord's placed on my life moving forward. Now, we get a little bit of a sense of how important this is because verse 1 tells us that God tested Abraham. Now, I ask you in your notes, if you're taking notes, to underline that word or circle that word because some people kind of have this idea. Maybe you're thinking through in your mind a little bit about this word and you would say something like this. I thought the Lord never actually tests us. In fact, some of you would say, I thought the Bible says that the Lord doesn't actually test us. What the Bible actually says in James is that the Lord doesn't test us with evil. So in other words, if you're tempted with sin, if you're tempted to do something against the Lord, if you're tempted to make some sort of a mistake and that's a temptation and a trial you're going through, that's not of the Lord, that's of the enemy. See, the devil's going to tempt you because he wants to trick you and destroy you. The Lord, however, will test us because he wants to deepen our faith and strengthen our walk with him. Now, Exodus chapter 16, you don't have to flip there, but it gives us a kind of a clear picture of exactly why the Lord tests us. After the children of Israel, if you were to continue to study through Genesis and Exodus, they've been removed from Egypt. They're walking through the wilderness, they're in the desert, and the Lord gives them every day food for them to eat. In fact, the the word the Bible uses, manna, from heaven. He literally lays it out on the ground and they go find it. But he tests them because he only gives them enough for a day. And they they pick up more and try to store it, it rots. And so the Bible tells us in Exodus 16, verse 4, the Lord is speaking to Moses. I will rain down my bread from heaven for you. The people are to go out each day... And gather enough for that day. In this way, this is the Lord speaking, I will test them and see whether they will follow my instructions. See, the Lord tests us because he wants to see if we're willing to obey. My family had the opportunity last week to go to Florida. And when I go to Florida, I've got one goal in mind. I want to do absolutely nothing for a week. That's what I want to do. That's my goal. That's most people's goal on vacation, right? I want to sit and relax and not have to think about anything, maybe read a few books. And so we went to the beach one day and we were sitting on the beach relaxing. Weather was nice. The water was beautiful. The kids were playing. And we struck up a conversation with a lady that was sitting next to us. They had moved down from New York and had loved the area and had decided to settle there. And as we started talking to her, she told us that her husband was an Iron Man. I was like, with the suit? You know, that's what I was thinking. No, not that kind of Iron Man. He does the races, right? He goes and he does these long-term races. And I looked it up because I didn't really know all the numbers. Here's what, a, here's what an Iron Man looks like. He swims 2.4 miles. Now, it swims 2.4 miles now. That's a long way to swim. He gets up out of the water. He jumps on a bike. He bikes for 112 miles. 
He finishes his bicycle ride. He gets off the bike and he immediately runs a marathon. 26.2 miles. Unbelievable. If you've ever seen these things, it's, it's just excruciating. I mean, the, the, uh, the ability of these people to finish a full triathlon like this, an Ironman triathlon, is incredible. But I watched him one day. He was always out in the water. He had a little, a little boat he was in. And, and one day we noticed, and he was out swimming in the water. And he was out, I mean, he was out a couple hundred yards, and his wife had one of those little, you know, the little flatboard boats that you sit on, and you kind of know she was rolling on. And for about an hour, this dude just swam. That's all he did. For like an hour, he's out there swimming, and he'd swim back, and he'd swim back. And I thought, man, what, what stamina it takes. The amount of training it takes. I mean, if you asked me to do an Ironman, I wouldn't do a very good job of it. I mean, it could start well. I'd start great. I wouldn't finish strong. I promise you that. I wouldn't finish at all, probably. Most of us wouldn't finish an Ironman. It's just grueling. But if we had the time and the desire and were physically able, if we were able to kind of work our way up to that point, right? If you started the day with the mindset of a year from now, I want to compete in a triathlon, you may could do it if you worked hard enough. How would you do it? You'd do a little at a time. Well, I guarantee you that guy didn't go to the Ironman triathlon never having run a mile in his life and decide he wanted to compete. He started with short little steps, didn't he? What he learned is important to our understanding of the text this morning. What he learned was that as he tested his muscles and put them in very difficult situations, they got stronger, didn't they? And they gained more endurance. And after he tested and tried his muscles and his body enough, he was able to do things he may have never dreamed he could actually do. It's kind of like that with our faith. See, if you've never kind of worked through your faith and strengthened your faith and tried to deepen your walk with Christ, the first big trial that comes along is going to defeat you because you're not prepared. But the Lord says, if you'll trust me and you'll begin to kind of build that, that faith muscle, so to speak, and you'll, you'll trust me with the little things and you'll, you'll deepen your walk, then the first trial that comes, maybe working with the Lord and strengthening yourself, you can make it through that trial and that strengthens you for the next one. And then you come to the next one and it strengthens you for the next one. And, and on and on it goes as you build up your faith and you deepen your walk with Christ and you deepen your walk with the Lord. What we begin to see is our faith grows and it gets stronger. So the Lord says to Abraham, I'm going to test you, Abraham. Now here's what we need to understand. This isn't the first test that the Lord placed upon his life. In fact, you've seen really through our study the time and time again the Lord has tested him and tried him and the difficult things that Abraham has gone through. But it's at this point in our study that Abraham is going to face probably the most difficult thing he's ever faced. God's going to say to him, I'm going to test you and ask you to sacrifice your son. Now, I want to think through for a few minutes the response of Abraham. So look at verse 3. Early the next morning, Abraham got up and he saddled his donkey. He took with him two of his servants and his son Isaac. When he'd cut enough wood for the burnt offering, he set out for the place God had told him about. On the third day, Abraham looked up and saw the place in the distance. By the way, he had three days to think about this. Let that churn around in your brain just for a few minutes. Verse 5, he said to his servant, stay here with the donkey while I and the boy go over there. We will worship and then we will come back to you. There's an indication of something we're going to talk about here in just a few minutes. Verse 6, Abraham took the wood for the burnt offering. He placed it on his son Isaac and he carried the fire and the knife. And as the two of them went on together, Isaac spoke up said to his father, Father, and again, this is an indication, Isaac is old enough to understand what's going on. He's old enough to carry wood. He's old enough to have a conversation with his dad. He says, Father, yes, my son, Abraham, applied. 
The fire and the wood are here, Isaac said. But where's the lamb for the burnt offering? Abraham answered, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. And the two of them went on together. When they reached the place God had told them about, Abraham built an altar there and arranged the wood on it. He bound his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Here's truth number two. Not only had the Lord brought Abraham to this point of testing, not only did the Lord want to see exactly how deep his faith was, not only did the Lord want to deepen Abraham's walk, but here's truth number two. Abraham's obedience, and we're going to see this as we walk back through this passage of Scripture, Abraham's obedience demonstrates his absolute trust in the Lord. Abraham's obedience is going to demonstrate his absolute trust in the Lord. So I want to ask you a question before we kind of delve into these verses specifically. How do we deal with difficult situations in our lives? You, you should ask yourself the question on a fairly regular basis, especially when we're confronted with truths like this. How do I respond in times of testing? What's kind of your default in times of testing? Do you, do you panic? Are you fearful? Do you say things to people around you that know you're a Christian and are going to be watching you in these difficult times? Do you say things to those people around you that make them believe that maybe you don't trust the Lord like you say you trust him? Do you live your life in the moment of crisis in such a way that nobody around you would know you had hope in Jesus Christ? Or the flip side of that coin, do we live our lives in such a way that we indicate trust in Christ? Do we say the words? Do our actions indicate that we believe the Lord really is with us? Do we conduct ourselves in such a way that even in the midst of very difficult trials, people can see Christ in us? Those are the questions we ought to be asking ourselves. Because I can promise you this. If you have not already gone through a trial, one's coming up very quickly. In fact, I, I could go around the room and talk to every one of you and you could probably tell me some sort of a difficult thing you've just gone through or maybe you're going through right now. And so often our mindset is, what do I need to do to get through this thing? What, what do I need to do to get this thing over? And that's the human mindset and, I, and there's not necessarily anything wrong with that. But maybe we ought to be considering even more than that. How can the Lord use me through this? And how can I display my trust in him? And how can he use me to bring glory to this world through this trial? How different will we see our lives if we begin to understand that every trial is an opportunity to bring glory to the Lord? How differently would we live our lives if we understood that every trial we face is an opportunity to trust him more? How differently would we live our lives if we saw every trial as an opportunity to deepen our walk and to deepen our faith and to deepen our trust in the Lord? And so there's some things that Abraham does here that I think are important and I want you to see. I want you to notice his response. I've got them on the screen for you as well. Abraham, in this difficult trial, the first thing he does is he immediately responded to God's commands. I, th I think that's awfully important. To understand his heart, to understand his desire to serve and kind of where he was, we see that the first thing he does is he immediately responds to God's commands. Look at the verses that point this out. Just look again at verse 1. Bring these up for me as we go through them if we could. Verse 1, the Lord calls to Abraham and he says, Abraham, and Abraham says what? Here I am. It reminds me of Isaiah. Remember the Lord comes to Isaiah and he says something like this. Who am I going to send and who's going to go for me? You remember that passage of scripture? What does Isaiah say? Do you remember? Here I am, Lord, send me. Here I am. Ooh, Lord, right here. 
And I, I wish I could say to you, I, w- I wish I could say to you in, in honesty that every time the Lord's called me to do something, I'm ready. Here I am, Lord, I'm ready. If we were honest with each other, we would say that there are probably certain times when we're not necessarily ready. <laughs> there are probably times when the Lord calls us and we say, yeah, can you send somebody else? Can you ask this guy? We see that Abraham is ready to immediately respond. Look at verse 3. We see the same idea. The Lord has called him to sacrifice his son. And verse 3 begins, bring that up, early the next morning. You see that? Not middle of the day, not later in the afternoon, not a day or two later. So Abraham's going to have time to process this and think through it and talk with Sarah about it and go talk to some of his friends and maybe his servants or, or maybe have an opportunity to ask the Lord to do something different. Early the next morning, the Bible says, he gets up, he's ready to go. And I just wonder how I would have responded in that moment. God says, Abraham, I, I, need, you to t- I need you to trust me to do the unthinkable. Abraham says, here I am. Okay, next morning, I'm, I'm getting up, I'm ready. And look, look at verse 9. When they reached the place God had told him about, Abraham built an altar there and arranged the wood. He bound his son Isaac, laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Right? There's not this sense that Abraham gets there. Remember, he's got three days to think about this, right? He's literally traveling three days with this going through his mind. What, what did you, what, again, Lord, what did you call me to do? Why am I doing this? Three days he gets to process this. He arrives at this place, and I, I can just imagine he gets to the top, right? And he's kind of waiting to the last minute. He's kind of putting this off, and he gets to the top, and I can just imagine him going, okay, Lord, I just can't do this. I, I just don't know that I, I can do this, Father. I don't, have the, I don't have the faith. I don't have the ability. The Bible doesn't say he does that. It said he immediately, when he gets there, he, he reaches the top, and he builds the altar, he arranges the wood. He prepares his son. There's this sense of immediacy. He's responding to the Lord's commands. When the Lord commands him to go, he goes. There, there's so much to be learned just there. What if every believer responded immediately to the things of the Lord? How different would our world be? But it's not just that he responded immediately. Here, here's the second thing. He realizes that God has a purpose for testing. We need to realize that God has a purpose for our testing. Right? God doesn't just test us because he wants to be mean. God doesn't test us because he wants to see us squirm. God doesn't test us so he can kind of sit up there and laugh at us. God has a very specific reason in testing us. He wants to make sure that we trust him and we obey him enough so he can accomplish things through us. One writer said it like this, every test God brings into your life as an opportunity for you to shine and advance to another spiritual grade level. I think that's a neat way of thinking about it. You can imagine it like this. This is kind of a simplified illustration, but imagine your life is like a series of doors. And the Lord says, I want you to walk through that door right there. And you say, but Lord, that door requires me to (laughs) to trust you a little more than I've trusted you and there's some trials that go along with that door, Father. That's going to be a difficult place for you to walk, and I just don't know if I can do it. And the Lord says, I want you to walk through that door. And I'll strengthen you as you do it. You say, okay, Father, I trust you. I'm going, to, I'm going to walk through the door. And as you walk through that door, what you begin to see is not only is the Lord going to strengthen you and give you the ability to walk through the door, but when you walk through the door, he's got other doors for you to accomplish. Now there's something else. You were faithful in this small thing, Christian. You trusted me during this trial. You followed me. It wasn't easy. It wasn't maybe the way that you planned it out, but you trusted me. You walked through the door, and I've got something else for you I want you to accomplish. 
And our life becomes a series of trusting the Lord and him using us in more ways and trusting him and using us even again and trusting us, trusting him. He uses us even in bigger ways. And it's this sense that we're growing in our walk. We're growing in our faith. And we see that when the Lord tests us, he does it for a purpose. But here's the third thing Abraham understands that we need to understand. Testing very simply grows our faith and then leads to obedience. If God tests you, he's going to ask you to actually do something. And Abraham's obedience very simply was based on his faith. Look again at verse 5. This is just a fascinating comment he makes to me. And there's all kind of debate. and People don't know exactly sure. And there's discussion about why he says it. But look at verse 5. So he gets to the mountain. He's been traveling for three days. He's had all this time to think about it, to change his mind, all the doubt that would have maybe come into my mind. He gets there in verse 5 and he says to his servants, stay here, right? In other words, I don't need you guys with me. Keep the donkey here. And most scholars believe because the mountain was too rough even for the donkey to make it. So he says, stay here while I and the boy go over there. We will worship. And then what's that next word? Say it. Just say it. Everybody say it. We will come back. Isn't that amazing? I mean, Abraham doesn't say, listen, we're going to go and I don't know what's going to happen. It's probably just going to be me coming back. Well, I don't know what the Lord's going to do. I'm not sure what he's going to say. I'm not sure how this is going to play out. But he says just emphatically, we're going to worship and then we're going to come back. Me and this boy, me and my son. There's this sense of, of absolute faith that leads to absolute obedience. I mean, Abraham had to have something in him to understand the Lord is who he says he is. He promises to use me. He promises to use my son. And so I don't know what all this means, God, but I trust you enough that when I go up on that mountain and do whatever you ask me to do, he and I are going to come back together. It's a sense of his absolute trust and his absolute faith. James 1 says this. Some of you know this verse. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that backwards from what the human standpoint would say? James says, listen, it's a good thing. You should be happy and joyful when you go through trials. Why? Because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. See, our faith leads to obedience. When we have faith in the Lord and when we obey him, he uses us to accomplish incredible things. Now, I believe something. I want to say something. I think you need to use it to kind of test where you are in your walk with Christ. The level to which you are willing to trust and follow the Lord is the clearest indication of the depth of your faith. The level to which you are willing to trust and follow the Lord is the clearest indication of the depth of your faith. If you want to understand what it's like to follow him to the uttermost parts of the earth and deepen your faith and trust him and go when he sends you. Now verse 10. So he reached out his hand and he took the knife. He's on the mountain. He's built the altar. He's bound his son. He's prepared. He reaches and he takes the knife. And there, there are lots of pictures that have been drawn all through the centuries of, of Abraham with a knife drawn back upon his son. He reached out his hand. He took the knife to slay his son. But the angel of the Lord called out to him from heaven, Abraham, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Do not lay a hand on the boy, he said. Do not do anything to him. Now I know that you fear God because you have not withheld from me your son, your only son. And Abraham looked and there in the thicket he saw a ram caught by its horns. 
And he went over and he took the ram and he sacrificed it as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called that place, the Lord will provide. And to this day, it's said on the mountain of the Lord, it will be provided. And the angel of the Lord called to Abraham from heaven a second time. And he said, I swear by myself, declares the Lord, that because you've done this and have not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you and make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as the sand on the seashore. Your descendants will take possession of the cities of their enemies and through your offspring all nations on earth will be blessed because you have, what, obeyed me. Here's truth number three. God himself provided the sacrifice. God provided the sacrifice. Now, it's interesting to me because in this discussion of what the Lord called him to do, there's all sorts of questions people have asked about and and books have been written about this idea. How could God call a man to sacrifice his son? How could he ask a man to kill his only son? We need to understand the truth of this passage of Scripture. God never actually intended for Abraham to kill Isaac. You understand that? But he wanted to test his faith to see if he was willing to do it. And at the very last moment, the Lord stops Abraham and he provides for him a ram caught in the thicket. Now I love this passage of scripture and I love this chapter because in my mind it paints a bigger picture. We understand the account of Abraham. We understand about Isaac. We understand about the promise. We've been studying this for weeks now and kind of building up to this point of the birth of Isaac. We understand Messiah will one day come. And so we understand kind of this picture. We understand what's happening in the book of Genesis. But I'll argue that there is a bigger picture at play here. We studied several weeks ago in Genesis chapter 3 after Adam and Eve had sinned. And the Lord came to Adam and Eve and told them the punishment that would be upon them. And then the Lord speaks to Satan and he gives them this very interesting phrase in Genesis 3.15. Here's what the Lord says to the enemy. I will put enmity between you and the woman. That's between Satan and the serpent. Satan and Eve. And between your offspring and hers, he will crush your head and you will strike his heel. So all we know from Genesis 3.15 is that the, the offspring of the woman will one day battle Satan and will defeat Satan by crushing his head. Now we don't know what that means based just on Genesis 3, but we understand that one day Messiah will come. One day Messiah will come and he will battle evil and he will eventually defeat Satan by crushing his head. One scholar explains it like this. He gives us a first glimpse of the person and mission of the one who's going to be the central figure in the unfolding drama of redemption of the world. It's a bigger picture of Christ. You see that? Genesis chapter 22, I believe, is another glimpse of future Messiah. They're interesting parallels. I want to give them to you just very quickly as I finish. I think you'll think they're fascinating as well. Genesis chapter 22, verse 2. God says, Abraham, take your son, your what? Only son. John three sixteen. for God so loved the world that he gave his what? You remember? Only son. Both sons were sent to the altar to be sacrificed. Both sons would carry the instrument of the sacrifice upon them. Remember, Abraham takes the wood and he gives it to his son, right? Isaac, you carry this up the mountain. Many centuries later, Jesus Christ would place the cross upon his back and he would hike up Golgotha to be sacrificed for us. Both sons would be sacrificed by the will of God. God called Abraham to sacrifice his son Isaac. It was his will. 
Isaiah 53, 19, speaking of the future Messiah, says it was the Lord's will to crush him and to cause him to suffer. But maybe the most important distinction here and the thing that we need to understand between Genesis 22 and the coming Messiah is that God, in both cases, provided the sacrifice. God provided a ram caught in the thicket for Abraham to sacrifice instead of his son. And centuries later, the Messiah would come to the place of the cross and again the Lord himself would provide the sacrifice. This time not a goat or a ram, but the perfect lamb of God. Not because we deserved it. Not because we were good enough but because he loved us. I think Abraham had just a little glimpse of that and he understood just a little of who Messiah was and he understood that one day Messiah would come and take the place of the sacrifice of all mankind. And so I want to challenge you with this as, as I finish up this morning. Abraham, in the very end, placed his hope in the future Messiah. One day Messiah will come. One day Messiah will come and I won't have to sacrifice anything I won't have to do the things I'm doing now. I won't have to live in this world of sinfulness because Messiah will come and he will take the sins of my life upon his cross and he will die for me. He hoped in what Messiah would give him. And so here's the question I want to finish with this morning. As we walk through this life, as we walk through the trials and the temptations and the difficulties that we face day in and day out, how how often do we trust Messiah? How often do you trust the Lord as you're walking through those moments of trial? So I want to do something a little bit different this morning. I want to ask, guys, y'all come on up. I want to have just kind of a a time of reflection. This is a little bit different. We don't usually do this, but I, I just feel like this is important for us to reflect on what the Lord has shown us here. And the idea of the hope in Messiah, Abraham had the hope in the future Messiah. We hope in Christ because of what he's accomplished. But I want to challenge you just for, just for a minute or so. I want to have just a silent time of reflection where you f- reflect upon your life right now. And all you're going through and all you're dealing with and all you're struggling with. And you ask yourself one simple question. In these moments of struggle, am I relying on the Messiah or am I trying to figure it out myself? Let's just have a moment together. Father, we love you and serve you. We're we're challenged with this truth, Lord. That even in the midst of great struggle and difficult situations, we need to trust you because you've got a plan. You've made a promise to us all, Lord, that through Christ we can be reconciled back to you. Through Christ, Father, we can find hope again. Through Christ, even in the midst of the greatest struggles any of us will ever face, there is hope. And so I pray you would just just empty our minds, Lord, of our thoughts, of our own abilities and fill it with the hope of Jesus Christ. 
Father, he is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And we trust him with our lives. Give us the ability to live in such a way that brings you honor and glory in all things we say and do. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You can stand. We're going to give you the opportunity at the altar. If you want to come and pray, maybe you need to pray about where you are in your walk. Maybe the first time you've been confronted with sins and need to accept Christ as your Lord and Savior. Maybe you need to join the church, but this is your time to respond. You come as we sing. Thank you for joining today's sermon. We would love to hear how today's message blessed you. Use the Contact Us link on our website at rosemontchurch.org. God bless.